my objective is every day to be pouring white paint in my bucket. And so I don't ever want to be the smartest guy in the room, right? I just, I am stretched by those that stretch me. And I try and be a good student and listen and uh, become a little better every day by pouring a little bit more white paint in my bucket. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, Way back at the beginning of the Impact Entrepreneur Show, we had a phenomenal guest named Daniel Hargavy, who was the co who is the co-author of a phenomenal book called Living Forward with Michael Hyatt. Well, Daniel reached out to me and said, Hey, I've got this friend and this colleague, this fellow executive coach at Building Champions named Bill Hart, and he wrote an awesome book called White Collar Warrior, and I think he would be great on your show. Would you like to interview him? And I said, heck yeah, because anybody that Daniel Harkavy says, hey, Mike Flynn, you should interview, I'm going to talk with those people. Now, Bill Hart, is an executive coach and the author of White Collar Warrior, Lessons for Sales Professionals from America's Military Elite, a book exploring the disciplines and commonalities between Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, and the best sales professionals in the country. Now, one thing you know about my show is that this is not a straightforward book promotion show. When people come on my show and they have a book, we weave the reasons why they wrote the book throughout our conversation and the questions I ask about people like Bill. Now, as a coach, Bill's job is to come alongside people and help them get clear about what they truly want, help them create action plans that will close the gaps between where they are and where they want to be and hold them accountable. He's looking to shine a light on something, a strength of theirs that maybe they don't see yet, a God-given gift that can help them to become a difference maker. But the only way to really bridge the gap and arrive at success is through work, hard work. It's not something that's given to you. It requires effort, intentionality, discipline, pursuit of mastery, adapting, overcoming, and patience, all the same things that make up a warrior. In White Collar Warrior, Bill breaks down these lessons learned through military training and service through the lens of a sales professional and applies them in a way that is realistic and achievable. There was so much in this episode, including a lot of stories from Bill directly. This was a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I'm sure that you will learn something from it. So bust out your pens and paper, Take some notes and brace for impact. Bill Hart, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, my man. I am uh, pumped to finally visit with you. I've, I've actually watched a few of your videos even before the incredible Daniel Harkavy connected us to talk about your uh, most recent book, The White Collar Warrior. So welcome to the show. Thanks, man. So glad to be here. Before we jump into your story in the book, I'd love to learn how you met Daniel. Daniel was one of the early guests on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. He was like guest like seven, I think, or six or seven, right when uh, Living Forward came out. And uh, that was a really special episode for me. In fact, it's still today one of the most listened to episodes because the message resonates with with everybody. But I'd love to learn how you guys connected. So Daniel and I go back about 20 years. I was working for Todd Duncan, the Duncan Group, doing realtor events for the Duncan Group, which is a a mortgage training entity. And Daniel was just starting Building Champions. And he was setting up at, at at an event in Palm Springs. He was setting up a little folding table with a banner on it that said Building Champions. And he said, you know, you'd be a great coach. 
And I said, so where, where are you doing this? And he said, Portland. And I said, yeah, dude, I'm not, I'm not moving to Portland. Love you. <laughs> and, and it took about three years for us to finally come to terms and realize that, you know, you can live any place. And now we have coaches all over the country that literally do live any place. So 15 years later, I've been coaching for Daniel's company, Building Champions, and uh, would never consider being anyplace else for all the reasons that you might imagine to be true. Yes, it's it's an it's an amazing. California is an amazing place to live. We're, you know, we're we're just up the coast from each other by about six hours. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a long state, right? Yes, it's a very long state. Yes, no people always say, uh, "Hey, I'm coming to LA. Let's connect." I'm like. <laughs> Have you, have you looked at a map? Dude, even for me, that doesn't work. That's an hour and a half away. So know, yeah, unless there's a helicopter involved, it's probably a bad idea. Yes, yes. I always said if I ever lived in Los Angeles, I would, I, I would buy a helicopter. For sure. Why wouldn't you? Now, I, I always I like to open up with the origin story of, of my guests. And I, I, I kind of get a little bit tired of this. So tell me what it was like growing up as a kid. Yeah. So I always try to find, uh, or at least I'm trying to find new ways to ask that question. You yeah. posted recently on Facebook, uh, actually on a on a status that Steve Sims put out there. You actually commented with a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, which yeah. I love, and we're going to actually use that to share your origin story. So th- I'm going to read the quote, and yeah. then I'm going to take certain sections of it. And we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you some questions about Sweet. your story as it relates to this this quote. Yeah, so the quote is: "What is success? To laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a better place, whether by healthy child." a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Mm. And it reminded me of a quote, uh, I think it was John Maxwell, that the definition of success is knowing that those you love and respect, love and respect you. Yeah. So I'd love to start with the first part or the second line of this of this poem, which is to laugh often and much. So mm. when you were a kid, when you were growing up, who did you laugh the most with? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's a great question. I'm going to go with my friends. I've, I've, I've always... So let me back up for a second, because le- less people think it should have been my parents. I'm just going to be 100% transparent <laughs> around that and tell you that in the 60s, when I was growing up, my parents were smoking and drinking fiends, having their highballs and, uh, you know, entertaining. We were in an upper middle class environment in Miami. And I, I don't, I don't begrudge any of that. It was, it was good then, but it was all about early on. It was all about friendships and relationships for me. And so that's vivid in my mind. It's a great question, but I'd tell you, man, it was all about friends. Mm, I love that. I love that. The next is to win the respect of intelligent people. So when you think back about, you know, the last 30 years you've been doing this as a coach, right? And then you've got your careers prior to that. Who has been the most important mentor in your life? Well, this is going to sound like such a laydown, but Daniel will know that it's him. Um, and and it, what's cool about that is to have a, a mentor that is probably 15 years younger than me mm. is a little unheard of. Mm. But the cool thing about Daniel Harkavy is when, when I was, quote unquote, interviewing for this position, we were actually back in Palm Springs at... Morton's Steakhouse and my wife, Tony, and his wife, Sherry, were talking. And Tony asked Sherry, what's the thing that you love most about Daniel? And she said without hesitating that he is the same guy 24-7, no matter who he's with. What you see is what you get. And having worked for so many people in the past that were not that at all. Mm-hmm. In other words, it was like, oh, I'm on an airplane. Okay, let's see. Wedding ring off. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of, they, they, they moved in terms of a very different 
uh, light lifestyle and objective, right? The, the objective was more about just having a good time and conquests and whatever. And so with Daniel, to be able to see that that is who that man is, and you mentioned his book, Living Forward with Micaiah, that book has had an enormous impact on just so many people. So so that's the first one that comes to mind is that in terms of mentorship, my, my junior, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Now, why, why is it important to you when you think about what Ralph Waldo Emerson was saying there, as it relates to you, why is it important emotionally for you to have the respect of intelligent people as opposed to just people? Yeah, I think I've always been attracted to intellect. I've always been attracted to intellect. And it's just it's just something that to me stretches me. You know, one of my other videos recently I put out was called White Paint. And you know, I just call it white paint that at at 63, my, my objective is every day to be pouring white paint in my bucket. Mm-hmm. And so I don't ever want to be the smartest guy in the room, right? I just, I am stretched by those that stretch me. And I try and be a good student and listen and uh, become a little better every day by pouring a little bit more white paint in my bucket. And one of the ways to get better is through critics. And, and one of the things that he, he mentioned in this poem is, to earn the appreciation of honest critics. So who in your life has been the most helpful critic, both personally and professionally? Yeah, I don't even have to think about that one, man. That's my wife, Tony. And, uh, and nobody can do it quite the way she does because she does it delicately knowing that there's an ego that I'm not proud of, but it's there, mm-hmm. uh, that she helps me deal with. What, one of the things, here's, a, here's an example, if I could just riff on this for a second. Yeah, I, I was at an event speaking years ago and wearing a suit back in the days when I used to wear a suit when I'd speak. Now this is more the way, the way I dress, wearing a t-shirt today. But yeah, I was speaking and you know, my mom had always raised me to be proud of the fact that I'm tall. I'm 6'3". She said, stand tall, throw your shoulders back. And so I've always done that. And Tony was... So I'm done. Tony's in the ladies' room. She overhears two other women talking that don't know who she is. And the one, one woman says to the other... I really enjoyed Bill. That was really a great message. And the other girl said, yeah, I think so too. He seems pretty full of himself though. <laughs> and, right? So Tony says to me afterwards, like, so I really want you to take this in the context that I intend it. But I can tell you, if somebody doesn't know you and they see you moving across a stage or a room, they're going to say, man, that guy, he could well be full of himself, right? So that was the one moment where it's like, oh my goodness, okay, the last thing I ever want to do is be that guy. So mm-hmm. I have to figure out how to be more self-effacing mm-hmm. and to really work on connecting with people. Mm-hmm. That's that's almost a paranoia for me. I just don't ever want to be seen that way as egotistical. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, let's 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 stay there for a second because yeah. I th- I think I struggle and come off the same way. It's not not necessarily arrogant. It's just. Yeah. It's just like a confidence, a certain sense of boldness, yes. you know, and, and it's not, not, I don't think that it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I guess when it, when it causes people to disconnect from what you're trying to share with them, right. then it is. So how do you go about, what do you do mentally to kind of set yourself up so yeah. that you can maintain your confidence and your boldness, but also still the, the intimacy that you're going after. Yeah, yeah. It's a really great question, man. And I, I think this is this is particularly true with men. I'm sure that there are women that struggle with it as well, but I, I find it as a coach, just having done this for 15 years, to be particularly true with men. And part of that, as you know, is sort of that, you, you know, you remember the John Eldridge book, Wild at Heart, and he talks about posing, right? And so yeah. I, I do think some of that is is in there. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I've dealt with it is I just find self-effacement. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that I'm telling you the story, <laughs> right? I mean, I, right. I wouldn't share that story yeah. if I wanted to maintain a certain degree of whatever, distance and impression and, right. and perception. So... So yeah, I just find self-effacement. You know, I do a lot of public speaking, and so I'll I'll do that. I mean, you you saw in the book, in White Collar Warrior, I call out one of the topics in one of the chapters is discipline. Mm-hmm. And I said I didn't learn discipline as a kid. I'm not proud of that. I'm I'd rather not tell that story. Mm-hmm. But I know that that's going to connect with more readers. So I think that's it for me. I think mm-hmm. it's more 
the more that I can peel back those layers and be transparent, such an overused word these days, but be tr- transparent, be authentic. Uh, man, if Steve Sims was here, he would he would hit me on the side of the head for using that word authentic because it's overused. <laughs> but that's really what I'm after. I think I I that's my response to that. Yeah. You know, when I was I had Steve Sims on like back in episode sixty something, yeah. and like a year ago, right? Yeah, like a year ago. And one of the things that I was really surprised about that he answered. I asked him. I'm like, I, I don't even know if I. If I asked him, but I, I suggested that he's a generous person, and he said he was not. He did not feel like he was generous. But I think he is one of the most generous people I've ever I do as well encountered. You know, and uh, and I mean, just what a stand-up guy. You know, I mean, who's, he totally is. He is who he is. You know, talk about and, what you see is what you get with yeah, Sims, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, like he's the he is the definition of authentic. When to, totally, it, you should just Webster should just put a picture of him. His big ugly face in the dictionary. Um, Absolutely. You know, there's this book that I'm always trying to improve my prayer and meditation. And there's this book that I read called Beginning to Pray Mm. by by a guy named Anthony Bloom. And it was originally written in the 1970s. And one of the things he talks about there in there is the fact that when you recognize that someone else, everyone, like regardless of whether it's Steve or you or me or some stranger on the street, every single one of us has been willed into existence, mm. right? Yep. I even get the chills even thinking about that because it really ha- it forces you to change the way that you interact with everyone, including strangers. Mm-hmm. And so when Ralph Waldo Emerson talks about finding the best in others, yep. what way do you approach making a conscious choice to do that? And how do you bounce back when you fail to do it? Well, I'm going to start with the first part. So remind me if I forget the second part. My wife would tell you that I have this uncanny ability to compartmentalize good. I just do. I, 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 I'm an optimist to a fault. And, and so I, I, I wouldn't say that I am oblivious to evil or the bad or the negative. I just don't spend any time there. I acknowledge it and I move on. When I was diagnosed with cancer... 23 years ago for the first time, I, I describe it as going to war on that disease, mm-hmm. right? Go to war on it. So it's like, I could either curl up in the fetal position here and like, woe is me, or I can just go to town on it. And so I, I feel like I do that. It's your great questions, by the way, Mike, these are questions I've never been asked before. The thing that I do with people, with clients, is very interesting, and that's the easiest way for me to describe this. For, you know, for people listening to this, just picture this: this is my job, right? My job is to come alongside people, help them to get clear about what they truly want, which they seldom know when they first come to me. If I'm honest, mm-hmm. it takes a while to get that clarity. Mm-hmm. Number two, help them to create action plans, which will close the gaps between where they are and where they want to be. The important distinction there is to help them create action plans. The first three years of coaching, I think I owe people refunds because I was just giving action plans, right? <laughs> Here's what you should do. Yeah. Well, that's a mistake. I mean, they'd honor that because of the, the role. But the truth of the matter is people support what they help to create, right? So when they come up with it, it, it works better. And then number three, just to hold them accountable. So that, you know, that's coaching, right? So as the process begins for me, I'm always looking for what's in there that even they don't see yet. Hmm. And that's very common that people, just, just like you pointed out with Sims, you know, he denied that he was a generous man. And yet you and I, who both know him, are recipients of that generosity. Hmm. And so I, I, I know that to be true. And what I find is it's almost the opposite. You know, in my book, I use the military as a metaphor, right? It's almost the opposite of boot camp. So instead of breaking somebody down, I actually try and find a way to build them up. Hmm. And look for something that I can shine light on that is a strength of theirs, that is a God-given gift that, that can help them to become a difference maker instead of just getting on the treadmill and running faster and faster and faster. You mm-hmm. can find that zone, that strength, that gift and shine a bright light on it, just mm-hmm. like you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you're, I sent you an email this morning and I said, I've done, I'll bet I've done 25 podcasts in the last two months, not kidding, around the release of this book. Yours was the first that I got that laid out so clearly 
expectations, framework, here's where we're going to go, here's a couple things I want you to keep in mind. Like that doesn't happen by accident. Mm-hmm. Right? You're good at this. Thank you. You're I welcome. accept and receive that. I accept and receive that. Well done. Well, well we're done. human. We're human, right? And yep. and sometimes we fall and falter and and sometimes our natural strengths through fatigue or whatever end up, you know, wearing down and we we sometimes we digress into you know our base the baseness of humanity which is not not the uh not the best right so the number one inhibitor to success in everyone in my opinion is the fact that they don't believe they are worthy mm. of anything of a why of a success of a deep and meaningful relationship of friendship yep. of intimacy of someone serving them so, and you being a coach and having these deep, intimate conversations with people, you probably hear that a lot, you know, and that's yep. probably one of the, one of the, the greatest barriers to clarity is people being honest with themselves that they don't believe they're worthy. So how do you, with that in mind, how do you reach into them mm. and draw the light out and shine it on who they really are? Yeah. It's a great question, man. I I think the first place my mind goes is, again, something that I mentioned in the book, but I I call it uh, show them the dead body. And what I mean by that is it's like every great crime show you've ever watched, right? It always, they frequently open with a crime scene, the yellow do not cross tape, and there's a dead body with flies on the eyeballs, right? And then the, (laughs) the detective says some pithy comment, and then you go to commercial, and then the rest of the show, they unwind the solution to the mystery, right? And so what I What I help clients do is take a look at their continued behavior over time. And so what's that going to look like? And I learned this from Daniel. I call it something different, but it's the same thing. Show them the results of their poor behavior Mm -hmm. projected out over time. So if that's an affair, if that's uh, diet, if that's lack of exercise, if that's dishonesty, whatever that might be, project it out over time. Here's what that looks like. How's that feel? Mm, mm. And so I feel like at that moment, then what we try and do in coaching is to re-engineer, right? Like, okay, so if that's not where you want to end up, much like Daniel talks about in Living Forward, that he refers to that in the book as the drift, if you recall. Right. So we try and correct the drift. In Santa Cruz, you're a, you're a surfer. I undoubtedly have a stand-up paddleboard. It's not difficult to drift, right? So you've got to do something intentional to fight that tide. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's it. I feel like as, a, as, a, as an effective coach, you've got to call that out. And I'm going to tell you this, man, that again, 15 years I've been doing this, I'll bet the first three to five years as a people pleaser, I am a people pleaser. Like if there was a, if there was a group for it, you know, hi, Bill. Yeah, welcome to People Pleasers Anonymous. <laughs> I'd be the head of that group down here in Southern California. And what I realized was I wasn't calling people out on their stuff. Mm -hmm. And so later when I began to do it, and, you know, I'm a pretty happy, jovial guy, you know, smiling and talking, I have to pull out the other bill, right? Mm -hmm. And the coach has to show up that, like you said, just calls them out on it. Like, Mm -hmm. dude, this is not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. look at this squarely in the eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are uncomfortable conversations and mm-hmm. they can be small and insignificant and they can be huge. Yeah. But I've got no problem calling people out on their stuff. And, you know, part of that, look, not to go, you know, too over the top in terms of my faith position, but, you know, people may wonder, well, that sounds a little bold. Like, mm-hmm. what if you're wrong? Mm-hmm. Here's my insurance. I pray my way in every morning. Mm-hmm. So if I've got a dozen clients, I've listed their names on a sheet of paper and I literally pray over them. So here's here my security is, I'm not waiting on my discernment, on my intelligence. Mm-hmm. I'm inviting God into this. Mm-hmm. And that's my belief is that if it's a moment of like, whoa, that's probably his leading yeah. and it's not my action. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, totally. Because it's usually like you have a guttural response. That like, whoa, like, yeah. And that's something that is given to us, you know, and you need to act on it. And then, you know, it, it's our most powerful wep- secret weapon is, is responding to our gut. Oh. You know, I, love, I love the idea of drifting and it brings to mind 
I don't love the idea of drifting, <laughs> but I, I understand. I, I, yeah. But it it uh, when you brought that up, it it made me think about you know Michael Hyatt talks about a story when he and Gail were in the water and they drifted really like a mile away from where they needed to be. Very scary, yeah. especially if you don't know really how to swim that well in the ocean. Totally. Um, and being from Tennessee, they probably hadn't spent that much time swimming in open waters, you know. Yeah. But, but I think about my. I have four kids, and even when they're playing in the shallow water on the shore, the current still draws them away from me. And I have to be that person, that lighthouse on the beach, calling to them saying, no, move back here. Yeah. And it's really a powerful analogy for life. You know I mean? Totally is. Like as a coach, you know, you've got to be that person on the sand watching. Right. And they, Absolutely. and that person, your, 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 you know, your mentees, if you will, have to be the people listening for your voice. And so a lot of people want coaching. Mm. They like the idea of coaching, but they don't like the idea of hearing someone else's voice. Right. How do you either develop that out of them or identify that and, break the relationship because they're it's not going to be a good fit for you or for them. Yeah, I mean both have happened in my career, but I I think I've only we call it firing a client, right? I I think I've only I think I've only fired 3 and uh and one was just kind of a mutual agreement that yeah, you know what? I'm not stepping into it and love you but this isn't working. I don't know, man. I'm grateful for the fact that I don't I don't feel like I would have to spend some time really thinking about it. At the moment, I don't have anybody in that place at all. And I think a big part of that is our process of of sort of interviewing and onboarding into coaching. If somebody's not coachable, quote unquote, with our system, the way that we handle that at Building Champions, that becomes pretty clear pretty quickly Mm -hmm. because it's a waste of everybody's time. Mm -hmm. And we're just not going to go down that path. So through effective questions and interviewing and trying to get inside that person's psyche, it's pretty easy to identify. And you know, to your point, I mean, who's going to pay a thousand bucks an hour to be coached and not make any progress, right? It, right. It's not going to show up. I just like go give that money to charity. Right. Yeah. Some somebody who thinks they want coaching, but they 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 just want to have another. I don't know, check in the box or something, you know? It does happen, but yeah. it's, I'm just telling you, I think over the years, yeah. our system has uh, evolved to the point where it's its much less common. You're right. There are in some circles, there's sort of this cachet about, oh yeah, I'm coached by so-and-so or the company or whatever. Right. But yeah, if there's nothing happening there, it's just, it's a sham. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. Now, I think as we're talking about this, the more I think about this quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, the more I think it perfectly segues and ties into your book, okay? Because the only way that you are able to arrive at the definition of success as Ralph lays it out is through work. Yep. Right? It's not something that's, that's given to you. It's not just something that's give, uh, given. It requires effort. It requires intentionality. It requires discipline. It requires pursuit of mastery. It requires adapting and overcoming. It requires patience. It requires all the same things that make up a warrior, whether it's a military professional or a white collar warrior, as you put it. And, and a lot of military professionals like Jocko and Leif and many others have written books about leadership and the lessons that they've learned. But this book, the way I looked at it is it's like a conduit, right? It's like a conduit that yep. breaks down these lessons from the military point of view through the lens of a white collar warrior and a 
applies it to something that makes it realistic and achievable uh, to a certain degree. So what attracted you the most to writing this kind of book, given uh, where we are today and where you are in your own life? What got me thinking about the concept, let's start there. So I didn't serve our country in uniform. I'm part of the 99% that have not. Uh, I was the tail end of the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War, there was a lottery system, so it wasn't a voluntary service. And I was grateful not to be selected because it wasn't a good war where the odds weren't good. You know, we had guys going to Canada, for goodness sakes. Mm -hmm. It was rough. But later, I really developed a strong sense of patriotism. And the thing that really brought it all to focus for me was uh, Marcus Luttrell's book, Lone Survivor. Mm. And that book just rocked my world. I coach so many people that do very well, but, you know, we struggle over like, I call it bookends. What time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? And then I look at these guys and what they go through just in training, let alone deployment, just in training. And I just thought, man, the extreme focus, the extreme dedication. And I know you've had a number of SEALs on the on the show and probably other other former warriors as well. It doesn't take long to figure that out, right? That that's true. But then I started to run it through my coach filter. And, and I, I love the word conduit that you use because that's, that was my mission. My mission was, it, A, if I'm correct, there are lessons here. And if there are lessons here, I need to figure out how to get them because those guys don't, if they're active duty, they're not going to talk to you. If they're retired, they're going to be a little skeptical of you. Mm-hmm. And so it took a while to, to get the first couple. And then once you get a few... Nowadays on social media, you know, people just, they, they can legitimize you very quickly based on who you know. Right. Then I needed to sort of distill some principles and apply it to business and ultimately sales. So yeah, that was the thing that did it for me is, was Lone Survivor. And that got me involved with Boot Campaign, the charity that I now am honored to serve on the board of. And I'm just, I'm just blessed to be able to serve those that have served us. And my hope is with the book, one of the outcomes that I didn't anticipate And I don't know if you saw it, but it was one of the reviews. It was an army veteran. One of the I did say that, yeah, yeah. One of the one of the reviews on Amazon was an army veteran that said, "You helped me to reconnect with who I was," Mm -hmm. and I now see that as an opportunity. I see that as as an opportunity for a lot of the men and women that are getting out of the military to be able to say that stuff is not like don't just go put it in a closet. Now you have to go figure out how to be somebody else. Like let's take some of those strengths and that loyalty and that uh, uh, that flexibility and that ability to be able to to stay on mission and apply it over here so yeah that's sort of an uh, i hadn't seen that but i'm excited about that so anyway getting back to your original question lone survivor is the thing that did it for me you know it's funny my i am a military brat my dad was an army officer and yeah. he served in vietnam and then went to ucsc became a banana slug hippie for a little bit and then actually <laughs> nice then nice. went uh went back into the army and became an officer and served for 13 years as an officer. Right on. And when he left the the army, he ended up finishing up in the reserves, was promoted to major, and he tells this story of this was in the in the early the mid-80s at that time. And he went to go we we live in Santa Cruz as I mentioned before and it's like the agricultural salad bowl of the world. Mm. And so naturally, he's like, well, I'll go work for a big agricultural company and no problem. So, But they didn't hire him because they really didn't know what to do with an army major. They didn't know... Yeah. like He'd been in the military, but they didn't understand right. like what that actually meant and what they were receiving. You know, Someone who had commanded troops and positions and you know, laid out battle plans and had to manage... You know, all kinds of, I mean, the, the, our military today, whether it's someone who's an enlisted guy or, or gal or an officer, yep. are so well equipped to be some of the most tremendous leaders, salespeople, innovators, totally. disruptors that have ever existed. It's mind, totally. it's mind boggling. Totally. What is the most surprising thing you learned about yourself in writing this book? Dude, you do have a bag full of good questions that it took. It took more effort than I ever imagined to actually get the book done. Hmm. I, part of that is because you recall I didn't learn discipline as a kid, right? So, hmm. 
And I certainly didn't learn it in the military because I wasn't in the military. I didn't learn it in music or martial arts or scholastics or any place. I just, I got through life. I call it tap dancing in the spotlight, <laughs> right? I have a good personality and a good smile and, and, you know, I'm a jovial guy and it served me from elementary school to present. Mm-hmm. But what I realized was, and I, I actually wrote an article on this recently, what I, what I learned from writing this book. And that was that I had to set aside, I was stealing, I was stealing my book one Friday at a time by, by playing golf every Friday. Mm. Mm. And I just made a promise to myself that, you know what, I'm, I'm out. I'm not, first of all, I'm not that good. Right? So it's like, it's okay. I can take a break from golf. It's okay. Um, but instead I'm going to devote that time to the book. And I told my group, so that the, the, our premier program at Building Champions is called the Master's Coach. And I told that group last February, February of 2017, we're recording this in uh, July of 2018. In uh, February, I think it was 2017, we were down in Laguna. And I told that group, I said, I will have a book done this time next year, or do not let me back into the room. And I co-lead the program. And I wasn't kidding. It's like I needed to engage the ultimate group accountability. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I learned is that I needed to deploy that which I had coached in so many others. And I needed to just sit down and knock it out. Mm. And just like any other big project, right? Just break it down, get it scheduled, make it happen. Mm. But, you know, we all have things that we like to do. And, and so the, that was the big lesson for me. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling a little busted about Maybe it's golf on Fridays, or maybe it's a matinee during the day, or a website. You know, if you're spending an hour on ESPN, like I'm not saying that's inherently bad, but you you know, Mm -hmm. that's taking you off track from something else that's important that you want to do or that you need to do. Mm -hmm. That was the lesson that I learned. Yeah, you know, it's I uh, I do this exercise that a guy named Tony Grebmeyer, who's a really awesome dude, you guys should meet, taught me. It's called, it's, uh, it's one, we all have a 168 hours in a seven day week. Mm. And so what he, what he did, and I can't remember if he came up with this or if, or if it was based on something else, but he's like, print out a 24 hour calendar for seven days and tell me how you spend those 168 hours. Mm. We all have the same 168 hours. Yep. You know, you probably spend, you know, six, uh, you know, 50 some odd hours sleeping, you know, what yep. do you do with the rest of your time? Can you tell me how much time you're working on? You're at work. Can you tell me how much time you're working on your passion projects? Can you tell me how much time you're going to the exercising, you know? And I couldn't answer those. Qu- I could, I, could, I never really thought about it. Mm. But the problem is, is that I always say that people think that they've succumbed to two primary lies. The first is that they don't have enough time. And the second is that they think they have time. Right? right. It's, it's, you know, the, the reality is, is that we, we all have the same number of hours in the day and we just don't use it wisely. Right. And it's, because, sure. we don't, it's because we don't have visibility. Yep. We're so passive, you know, to what's going on. 100%, man. One of the things that really stood out in your book and has stood out in all of the conversations I've had with the military professionals on the show and the books that I've read and my, my dad is, the pursuit of mastery, right? Mm. The pursuit of like knowing your weapon so intimately that that it doesn't, you know, take you any time to deploy it into use, right? And and it's this level of commitment that exists nowhere else but in the warrior cult ethos, right? It's part of their ethos, and and it, it, I heard this guy. I haven't interviewed him, but I heard it. Uh, an interview. His name is Eric Davis. He's also a Navy SEAL, but yep. he he said that they would drill, they would drill and drill and drill until it became effortless. Right mm. now, here we are in in the business world where everything is urgent to everyone else who's sending you something. They're sending you something. And they want an urgent response. Right? Yep. Doesn't necessarily actually fall into the urgent and important quadrant, right. but. Right. But everybody thinks everything that they need is urgent, right? Yeah, so sure. how do you juxtapose you know, the Ma- Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000-hour rule principle with the, these, this 
urgent, this operational urgency that we have in the business world today? Yeah, so first of all, great use of the word juxtaposed. First time I've heard it in about a month, so well done. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, man, I just, the unique nature of my job, I think made that possible, right? So I think the coach filter helped me to sort of run those disciplines and examples that, that just like, you know, in the, in the Valley, when your dad was looking for a job, others couldn't see it, right? They did, they, they, maybe they just saw Rambo or whatever and didn't see any application. My filter I'm grateful for was able to distill those things without the baggage necessarily associated to it and then apply it in the business world. So let me let me give you an example of that. In the book, I talk about Nick Palmashano. Nick is a, a former Army Ranger. He's got, I don't know how many companies he's opened now, but he's got a massive t-shirt company called Gruntworks and does really well with that. And he talks about how the Army is really effective at breaking things down into simple steps. So he talks about, you know, in, in paratrooper training, they start on a platform that, I don't know, is eight feet high, right? And so you start with a your harness and you know what handle you're going to pull and they teach you to jump off this platform eight feet. And then they teach you how to pull your reserve and then they teach you how to land and roll. And he said, by the time you finally get up into an airplane and you know, you're, you're wired up to a line and you're in line with 12 other guys, it's like, I've done this a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Right. So the very first time the wind blast hits you, I'm sure that's a bit of a shock, right? But everything else they've done a thousand times. And so when I, I, I and I mentioned the, the made up character in the in the book in the opening sequence, you know, I've got Rick the Navy SEAL in, and then I've got the guy in St. Louis that's actually based on an actual client of mine. He began to look for so many of these disciplines and we started to look for them in coaching, where as an example, he what time do you wake up? Right. I'm not asking you that question, but I I want people to consider that. You know, this client of mine, and I'm just going to fast forward to the end result. He he's he owns a hundred rental units, a hundred. He has passive income far beyond what most people slug out every day for. He competes in races all the time. He has an amazing life with his his family. He's built financial security far beyond anyone his age, and I think he just turned forty pretty amazing life. But there's a period of time where he was waking up at 3.30 in the morning. Nobody wakes up at 3.30. Even Jocko sleeps in till 4.30, (laughs) right? He was waking up at 3.30 because he was knocking things out that needed to get done that helped him to get to where he wanted to get. So he had a system for it, just Mm. like the army was teaching Nick. He said, you know what? I wake up in the morning, I calibrate my day. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a Darren Hardy term, but he mm-hmm. said, what I'm doing is I'm looking at my life plan and my business plan. So it's like, this is what's dictating my choices and decisions today, rather than just chaos or something I watched on the news or how I feel when I drive into work. Mm-hmm. So he had a very disciplined lifestyle for a time. Now he sleeps in, I think, till five now. <laughs> now that's the time I get up and I can actually relate to him. But you know what? There, you can create systems in your life in business that are not dissimilar from what the military goes through. In the military, you know this, with the warriors, you read enough of these books, you're going to read their chest packs, you know, those those things that they wear over their chest with the Velcro and the loops and everything. They know exactly where the tourniquet is in the flashlight. And so that in that moment, as Mm -hmm. you said, with their weapons, Mm -hmm. they're in pitch dark, perhaps they're blinded temporarily, permanently, God forbid, but something happens. Mm -hmm. They know exactly where to go for that. Mm -hmm. That's my encouragement really to our listeners right now is to say there are things in your life right now that you could just so tighten up mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. you were when you called it out with 168 hours a week at the end of the day if we start with a schedule that says i'm gonna this is just one of the things that i've learned watching top performers if i default on i'm gonna get more done today by noon than most average people do all day i'm gonna be so much more effective. So mm-hmm. top load your day. Top mm-hmm. load your day with your non-negotiable disciplines, the handwritten notes, the calls that you need to make, the meetings you need to have, those things that you know move the needle. Yeah. I let the chaos of the day get in the way of that stuff. Right. That makes yeah. sense. Totally, totally. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of a book by a guy named Stefan Aristal, who who's the CEO founder of a company down in San Diego called Tower Paddleboards. They were a shark tank company. But he wrote a book called The Five Hour Workday. 
because they took their whole entire company down to working five hours a day, all so of them. Cool. And to so give cool. them back their life, right? On the on the back end, right? Yeah. So, and yeah. so it's like the the it the intensity of the, the workday is so focused, right? Totally. There's no room for totally. water cooler talk, no wasted time. Right. And and it reminds me what you were just talking about with the the guy jumping out of the airplane and the, the army ranger who's super successful is that they got rid of the dangers of, of untested assumptions, right? I think you Correct. even talk about that in the book that that we 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 walk around life assuming that if X happens, we'll just be able to react with Y, right? Right. But that's not the case. It takes yeah. planning and 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 having a battle plan. Totally. Yeah, he caught that's the guy that calls that out. Nick, Nick Palmashona calls that out. He said, We all think that if this happens in business or if I'm suddenly involved in a fight, we think that we're going to do this, this, and this. And he said that you're just wrong. By the way, he's an MMA guy too. So he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Ask Jocko the same question, by the yeah. way, with Jiu Jitsu. Because it always ends up on the ground, right? right? It always ends up on the ground. Mm-hmm. And they would tell you the same thing. So yeah, man, I, I just, I think that's an enormously important concept. And the beauty of that in coaching is you can stir all this stuff up in your head, but if you ultimately come to a point where you say, okay, coach, I know these three to five things. If I do, do these each and every day, and it could be a workout, it could be meditating, it could be calls that you make, whatever those things are. If you say, if I do these things each and every day, I know it's going to have a dramatic impact on my life, my business, and my outcomes. And mm-hmm. so once you land on that, like your mm-hmm. buddy Tony said, once you land on that, if you just do it and then have somebody hold you accountable to it, doesn't mm-hmm. need to be me. You don't have to spend a bunch of money on it. Have mm-hmm. a Have a like-minded person holds you accountable, you hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. That will make things happen for you more than anything else. But you got to get used to this idea that Jocko calls out in extreme ownership and life. But the whole idea is discipline equals freedom, right? And it's mm-hmm. counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Because what people in sales always say is, dude, I just like the... You know, I, I don't have a schedule. Nobody's telling me what to do. Right. I'm like, okay, good luck with that. You know, yeah. that's, you just keep blowing in the breeze and see how that works out Right. Right. You know what, what's, what's interesting too uh, about elite performers and, and elite warriors, elite salespeople, et cetera, is that we all fall victim to plans that go awry, right? Mm. We may have done the work. We may have done the training. We have may, may have done the drilling. In fact, I remember when I had Jocko on, this, on the show, he shared a story that he also relates in the book. And it's about one of the, his one of his junior SEAL officers that he was, they were on a training mission, a firing mission. And this guy was, was getting overwhelmed by all the stimulation going on around him and he could not make the shot, right? Mm. And so Jocko stopped him and he said, you know, you got to look around. You got to look around. You got to pause, look around and, and make a call. Totally. And and we have to do that in our own life in sales and other places as well. We have to adapt and overcome when plans go awry. So how Absolutely. so when you take the, the lessons that you've learned from the, the military professionals you've interviewed and collaborated with, mm. and translate that into the business professional, what are the, the fastest ways that you've seen people adapt to uh, changes, disruptions, to f- setbacks? Well, I mean, the sad truth is people don't adapt very quickly. The vast majority of my clients right now are in the mortgage industry, and the mortgage industry has changed dramatically because rates have gone up a little, right? They haven't gone up a lot, but interest rates have gone up a little. And so the market's off, you know, maybe 25%, something like that. Refis are largely gone, and it's just a, it's a different day. And, and so the truth of the matter is, I personally, if you're asking me flat out, like, what's the quickest I've seen people respond not very quickly it people are very resistant to change now remember in jocko's world there's something very different there right it's life and death and there is a very different level of motivation on the other hand i will tell you i had a conversation with a guy this morning a guy that has probably made as much as two million dollars in a year 
he's in a space now where he sees that, you know, that kind of position is more of a regional kind of role is going to be going away. And he's actually anxious to move back into production. Like he's all about it. Mm -hmm. And I told this guy, I'm not taking on any new clients, but I would take you on. Like this would be fun because he wants to get back into the game. And I, I told him, he said, you know, I feel like I've been sidelined and now I'm getting back in the game. And of course, with my military exposure over the past few years, I can't help it. And I said, well, it, here's, here's what I see. I see you've had a battlefield promotion mm -hmm. and now you have an opportunity to put your helmet back on, grab a rifle and get back in the game. Like, mm -hmm. Like Black Hawk Down, you know, that mm -hmm. scene where the, you remember where the, I forget if he's a captain or whatever, but one of the guys asks him, like, you're going back in there? Because mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, but they would, mm -hmm. they would re-equip, right? They would get equipment and right. go back in this horrible situation in Somalia. And he was like, yeah, I'm going back in. And mm -hmm. he gives this beautiful soliloquy about, because of my brother. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's bigger than patriotism at that at that mm -hmm. moment. Right. It's because of my brother. That's kind of where this guy mm -hmm. was coming from today. Mm -hmm. And it's like, can't wait to get back in. So yeah. maybe that is the one exception that occurs to me is that yeah. was actually a pretty quick evolution. And mm -hmm. he will be fantastic, by the way. Well, he's he's got he's definitely got the hunger part that Patrick totally talks about in the ideal team player, you know. Right. Um, and it sounds like he's got smarts also, otherwise he wouldn't be at the position he's, he is now. And so, I mean, exactly. like, you know, that, that is the thing. If you're hungry, then you're going to be in hungry hunger, you know, in the military sense that, yeah, it is life or death, but in, 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 in the business world, that same hunger is using your gifts to have an impact, the impact that you know that you're capable of having That's right. and not letting it kind of go quietly into the night just because your industry has been disrupted. Right, for sure. Um, now, as we wrap up, because I know you have uh, lunch with the incredible Steve Sims, I have <laughs> a few, a few, I do uh, today. few more uh, questions for you that I ask yeah. everybody. Yeah. First, I want to make sure that people can go online. They can connect with you. We'll link to it in the show notes. Where, where can they do that? Yeah, man. I'm really easy to find. I mean, if you just Google Coach Bill Hart, you will find me... In all the logical places. <laughs> um, CoachBillHart.com is probably the easiest. That's my website. But yeah, yeah. I, awesome. uh, I, I look forward to hearing from anybody that uh, has resonated with what we've talked about. And, um, you know, the other, the other thing I would say is this. If somebody's reading the book now, make sure that you go to whitecollarwarriorbook.com. The nice thing about that site is there are, there's all kinds of free resources there. So a bunch of these guys that I interviewed, I've, I've done video interviews on that site. So hmm. like David Burke, who, who works for Echelon Front with Jocko and Leif, you know, he was a top gun instructor, has arguably the most expensive military aviation education in history because everything is going towards drones, right? And away from fighter pilots. He's an amazing guy. It's a fantastic interview. Very cool to listen to. So, and Tom Ferry, you know, one of the premier trainers for real estate agents right now, interviewed him on the subject of fear and goal setting. So there's a lot of cool stuff there. There's yeah. a leader's guide and a reader's guide. Just okay. make sure you go to whitecollarwarriorbook.com. A lot of cool free stuff there for you. Awesome. Awesome. The, uh, the first of the last four questions is if you could take any skill set that you currently possess. Okay, so a skill you currently have, yep. but you could turn it into a superpower. What would that be? <laughs> wow. A superpower around one of my skills. Yeah. So, so gosh, every friend I have who listens to this is going to say talking, right? So... <laughs> So it would be, I don't know, man, you know, Captain Oration. <laughs> I don't know. Knowing the precise message that someone needs to hear. And the exactly. Work. At the right time. Yes, at the right time. Now, what are three lies that prevent us from fully realizing our own potential that we tell ourselves? Three lies we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing our full potential. Yeah, so I'm not good enough is uh, a bold number one. I'm not smart enough is number two. And I don't have the time. You called it out earlier. I don't have the time is number three. Do you ever battle with, with those lies personally? Sure. Yeah. So how do you flip the switch on your on your on that self talk when you when you hear yourself in the quiet of your mind? 
Well, you remember I told you earlier, I, this is another superpower. Maybe this is the one I should have gone with. It's like, you know, the uh, I'm Captain Optimism because I, I don't see anything that can't be done. I just don't. I, mm-hmm. I, I see obstacles. I see, I see the, the journey. But yeah, man, that's, that's where it goes in my head is mm-hmm. like, yeah, of course you can do this. Yeah, it just is a challenge, a challenge for, sure. for you to overcome. Awesome, I for love sure. that. And by the way, that I want to speak to the parents very quickly right now listening. That came from my mom. Hmm. My mother said, you can do anything you set your mind to. And she told me that from a young age. So as much as they were smoking and drinking, right? When she did talk to me, and interestingly enough, it was my mom, hmm. right? Hmm. Not my dad. It was giving me that stuff. I love it. And she also was the person that when I was 18, I graduated high school. I was laying around in bed one morning at 1030. And she said, you know, if I was a young man like you, and she looked out the window and she said, if I were a young man like you, I'd drive over to the Burbank airport and see what it would take to learn to fly. Now, she knew I had already been interested in airplanes, but it was like, that's a good idea. Dude, it started a lifelong love affair with aviation. I sold airplanes in the early days. That's what I did at the Van Nuys Airport. Wow. So parents, consider what you're speaking into your kids. Mm. Uh, mm. That Those things for me, mm-hmm. on this interview, what have I called out? Mm-hmm. You can tall throw your, soul, your shoulders back. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do anything you want to that you set your mind to. Mm-hmm. And if I were a young man like you, I'd go le- I'd check out learning to fly. She wasn't saying... You should become a pilot, you know, mm-hmm. as your career. Mm-hmm. You're just saying you're laying around not doing anything. Why don't you go? Mm-hmm. And I was like, great idea. Mm-hmm. I do that. Be confidently curious. Right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But speak I'm, into your children. Totally. My number one fear is as a father of four is crushing my kids' curiosity. Totally. You know, because let's be real, a lot of times the things that they want to do are inconvenient to what I want to do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, and, and my wife and I are constantly holding each other accountable. Like, listen, we can't just say no to them just because it's something we don't want to do. Yeah. Good for you, Mike. You know, it's hard. I'm, it's, it's simple, not easy. Right? I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, the second to last question is a call to... It's more of a, Actually, I want you to give the listeners a call to action. Yeah. Something that based on our conversation, based on how you're feeling right now, that yep. you want listeners to go and do the moment they're done listening you to bet. this episode, including buying your book. Yeah, well, that goes without saying, right? Yeah. Here's the thing about the book. It is a it is a book written by a coach. So it's not a book you're just going to read passively. You could, but it's going to be difficult because at every chapter, at the end of every chapter, I have questions and assignments and things I want you to consider. So be prepared for that. But here, here's what I would ask you to do. We've talked a lot about your schedule and hours and choices and what you do, um, email me. And, and, you know, I may regret this, but email me, bill at buildingchampions.com and ask me for a time tracking tool. Hmm. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to track your time every day for a week and you're going to categorize it. The tool will help you to do that. Low payoff, medium payoff, high payoff. And at the end of the week, I want you to look at that and make some decisions about where you're spending your time. I think that's the most relevant call to action based on what we've talked about that I can offer people. And if I'm flooded with emails, I'm flooded with opportunities to have an impact. So I love it. I yeah, love it's it. my pleasure. I love it. Last question comes from the title of a book by, uh, by Clay Christensen. The book is, How Will You Measure Your Life? But I, I used to just ask that question, but I thought about, I, you know, I got to spice it up a little bit and make it a little bit more interesting. So yeah. I love the idea of, of these sculptors that take these moments in time, these moments of history, and they create these pieces that basically encapsulate moments or mm. images, right? Whether yeah. it's a painting or a sculpture. So if 200 years from now, just assume that you're still super famous and the people love Bill Hart. <laughs> so 200 years from now, a, a sculptor discovers a, a treasure box, a time capsule, and it's a letter from, from Bill Hart. And it says, Dear sculptor, <laughs> dear artist, <laughs> if you are so inclined, I would love for you to create a sculpture or a painting or some piece of art encapsulating this monumental moment of my life. Mm. What would that moment be? Yeah, buddy. I... 
I mean, I, I, my, it wouldn't be a monumental moment of my life. It would be more of a reminder of what I've learned. If I may sort of go there, it's my answer. So I guess I can, <laughs> um, I, but I would have them sculpt a, a sundial because that's probably more visual hmm. and it would work for a sculptor, uh, to just focus on the importance of time. Hmm. You know, we talk about 168 hours. I have a client right now that is convinced he's going to leave, live to be at least 120. He's really focused on, like legitimately focused on. Time is all we have, ultimately. And so my encouragement, my admonition, uh, my charge would be to use every bit of it. Don't squander a single day. I'm a three-time cancer survivor and I've had a heart attack and I'm a pretty healthy guy. Dang. Right? And so I have a unique perspective on that. Don't let a single day go by. Mm -hmm. And as we've all heard a million times before, if there's somebody in your life that needs to hear that you love them, tell them today. Mm -hmm. You may not have the opportunity tomorrow. Bill Hart, thank you so much. What a beautiful way to conclude today's impactful conversation. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, brother. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.